What's up, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Falcons Final Whistle podcast presented by Zaxby's. I'm Scott Baer, accompanied, as always, by Tori McElhinney, Taryn Walk, and for a second straight home game podcast, Amna Subhan is here with us, and she will come in and talk about what was a ferocious day for the Falcons' defensive front. But before we get to that, we do need to talk about the fact that the Falcons beat the Indianapolis Colts here at Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Christmas Eve by a score of 29-10. to 10. That sounds decisive. Mm. Something that's been uh, has not been a part of our vocabulary as much as missed opportunities and critical mistakes. Yeah. And oh, I, I could have gone the whole night without hearing those words. That's why I wanted to get it done at the And uh, here's the thing is we the could have. We could have we gone could have. the whole podcast without those words because the Falcons finally put together a what I felt like was a very complete performance. We only get one Christmas miracle per year, I guess. <laughs> and honestly, it, it was an impressive win all the way around. Six sacks from the defensive front. The running game was Something else. They plug and chugged. And and overall, the offense, Tori, you've got the number on the top of your head, right? The 6.8 yards per play, 6.3 yards per play mm-hmm. during the first half. It was as high as 7.1. 7. That's that's really moving the ball. Yeah. They, they had 406 yards. Now, look, we're going to get into some issues that they still need to remedy. But overall, this was a good, decisive win for the Falcons. A clean fourth-quarter game, something Taylor Heineke said on Wednesday. We need a clean four-quarter game. It's good that they got one. It's a bit unfortunate that it comes in week 16. Yeah. And I think that's where it kind of leaves you is that when you're looking at this this win, it's like, yes, it was a decisive win. And, yes, it was as complete as this team has looked in 2023. And, yes, it was balanced. And, yes, and, yes, and, yes. And this was exact – like, this was as close to what I thought they would be going into this season. And then the fact of the matter is that, yes – we are in week 16, and the Falcons don't kind of hold the cards in the NFC South. They don't hold destiny in their own hands, and they do, or I guess control their own destiny, as the saying goes. They're kind of having to sit around and wait to see what Tampa Bay does. They and won let's, today. Uh, yeah, is I mean, Tampa done? Bay is. Yeah, that's over. They beat the Jags 30-12. to 12. Wow. So, yeah, they're rolling, which <laughs> uh, I think is kind of interesting considering – where we are in the season and kind of where we thought we would be. But nonetheless, the Falcons have to do what they can do right now, which is put together some wins. And it started with this Indianapolis game. And this was a Colts team that came in, I thought, playing pretty well. They had a winning record coming in. And so this kind of marks the first time that the Falcons beat a team with a winning record, which is kind of wild to think about. Oof, was it really? Mm-hmm. So I, I think when you look at the totality of this game, it's like, all of this is so good, and you really enjoyed seeing this game. And I honestly had more fun watching this game than any other game to this point for this team. This was this. I mean, I go back to that third, the first drive of the third quarter. I thought, like with CP, the way that they use CP, Bajan, and Tyler Algier, I feel like that's the one time this season where I could look at a singular drive and be like, that's what I thought it would look like having those three guys in the backfield as options to run the ball. And, but again, goes back to, we are in week 16 Mm -hmm. and you do have to ask the question is, is it a little too late? And with the way Tampa's playing, it's, it's possible. And the only reason why that matters is because they lost back to back NFC South games to uh, Tampa Bay, which was a big one, and then in Carolina, the 9-7, to which 
is going to stick with yeah every with with a lot of people to lose that opportunity so you can wonder it but if you look at it and maybe that's what is kind of not shading over this win but you look at it and and you think if this could have been figured out faster or done more consistent done more consistently the falcons have a dramatically different record considering the strength of their schedule and the opponents that they've played mm-hmm. and the opportunities that they haven't capitalized on and, and look they were still not good in the red zone right but my goodness, they looked really, really good. They were moving the ball. It was a, it, to Tori's point, it was a fun game to watch. Yeah, you know. Well, it was interesting. You talk about them going. They were zero for three in the red zone and zero for two with goal to go, and that's not where you want to be. That's not a stat line that you want to have. And Taylor Heineke spoke about it after the game, and Arthur Smith, and they said, "Look, like we're not minimizing the fact that we didn't score when we got in the red zone. Like we, of course, you want touchdowns coming out of that. Of, of course, you you don't want to rely on Young Way Koo to put up 17 of your 29 points in this game. But you know, you still come out of it with points. And I think both the gist that I got with both Taylor Heineke and Arthur Smith after the game when they were asked kind of about this idea was that they both were like, yeah, obviously you want more, but we'll take this win because I think in the end the Falcons did more good than they did bad. And how many times have we been able to say that this season? I hate to be the one who does it first, (laughs) but we talked about not wanting to say missed opportunities. And then we say now that – there were so many opportunities where they should have scored touchdowns rather than field goals. So it's still – I'm going to be the Grinch and say there was still a bunch of missed opportunities. Like, Ku had 17 points. You don't want that necessarily. And if you think about how many drives did end in a field goal where they could have been a touchdown, it's an even more decisive win. So I hate to be devil's advocate, but it is there. Yeah. And There's like a persistent theme, I think, throughout this season. And, and that's – an important thing to note because when you look at it, two of the field goals easily could have been touchdowns had Taylor Heineke delivered a better ball. There, there was a kind of a one to the uh, back corner of the end zone with to Van Jefferson, to Van Jefferson, who was definitely open, and then Bajon Robinson was open on the yeah. sidelines, and, and it, it was, was a kind of a, too a much late, of, late yeah, throw. It was yeah. a late throw, it was a little too maybe soft, and he ended up stepping out of bounds. But you, so what you're starting to see is you're seeing this. It's kind of offensive churn and production. I thought, and we can get into Taylor Heineke in a bit. Um, But defensively, my goodness, six sacks. Jesse Bates had an interception. No late game lull this time. And to see this pass rush get going, and now I'm going to bring Omna in. To see this pass rush get going, what were the defensive linemen, the linebackers, kind of saying about why they were why they were able to generate so much pressure in this game, Omna? You know. Calais, what stuck out to me the most was Calais in the locker room who said he expected them to look like this all season. So now that they're finally starting to get it going, um, you know, when he signed here, he he's always said that this could be a really scary defensive front. And six sacks, is, that's a lot. They haven't had that um, many since 2019 when they had six sacks four years ago, and then they didn't have more than that since 2018. So I think they're – Glad that they were able to get that this in this game. But, yeah, I think they wanted to do this all season. Omna makes such a good point, too, because going off of what she was saying about what Kalea said, he really did say, like, this is what it was supposed to look like. 
And I thought that was so, that quote in and of itself was so telling. It's kind of the theme of what we're talking about, right? That you always sort of sense, and not just on paper, but we've seen this team practice a cabillion times. And I've seen them work from the spring to the summer all the way around. And you kind of felt like if, if, if things go right, it could be pretty good on offense and defense. Um, You know, and I think Omne was pretty impressive. Not only did Calais Campbell have uh, one and a, one and a half sacks, but Zach Harrison getting involved. He he now has three in his last two games. Yeah, um, Coach Gray said this week, like he got the first one. Now he's talking about getting more, and that's exactly what he did. And he he felt like now that he just you know got that one off his chest that it was just a confidence boost to go out there and get you know two more. But you know they did just like keep coming and coming. I you know to take you behind the curtain a little bit, as Scott would say, one of my game day roles is to pull highlights from Twitter and they just they literally just kept coming there's one that I had to go back for in the first quarter and as I was doing that there was like two more <laughs> you were busy today with the highlights. <laughs> yes That's I was very sure. busy literally that that never happens <laughs> something that I think can't that that is kind of a sneaky benefit here is you're you're looking at, at all of these sack numbers and then you look at the bottom of the defensive box score, and it says that David Onyemata, who's been out with an ankle injury, had zero tackles and one quarterback hit, right? Doesn't light up the box score. But I could feel that dude yeah. playing today. Here's the thing with interior defensive line play. 100%. I, am, I used to say this about Taquan Graham, where before he got hurt last year in the first half of the season – I loved watching Taquan Graham play, but you never saw him in the stat sheet. But what he was doing in in collapsing a pocket and making a quarterback move off of his spot, you see that with someone like David Onyemata in this game. You saw how much he was penetrating the front of this Colts offensive line and putting a lot of pressure on Gardner Minshew. I mean, I, I – Those guys in the interior, I I oftentimes think that they don't get as much credit as they deserve because a lot of times the reason why a sack happens is because a quarterback is flushed out to the edge and those guys on the edge get the sack and they get the glory and everything. But you really do have someone like a David Onyemata holding that defensive front in the middle and, and kind of making things happen. Yeah, I think Zach Harrison said it the best. He said he came in to the league and he didn't really know who David Onyemata was. Mm-hmm. And then he saw him play and he goes, why isn't he a bigger name? <laughs> and he also like ended it by saying real talk, which I love that for Zach. Right, yeah, he was like, <laughs> what, real, real, talk. real talk, he's one of the best I've ever seen do it, Like, which is, is pretty cool. What I think is so interesting with David, because he seems like a teddy bear for the most part, except for like, obviously on the field, but – He's a huge trash talker. Right. Calais was surprised, and other people have kind of mentioned it in the locker room, that, like, David Onyemata talks trash out there. I'm Mm. like, him? He's nice to us, but (laughs) don't catch him, like, at the line of scrimmage. No. And overall, you look at it, the Falcons had eight tackles for losses. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were in the backfield a lot. How many quarterback hits? Oh, my goodness. A Um, lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at seven. 10, 11. Yeah, yeah. 11. No, that's that's my thing is, like, they were moving Gardner Minshew, even if – I mean, I know Arnold Abiketti, I think, got a hand on a ball. Zach Harrison got a hand on a ball that eventually would fall incomplete. I mean, they were – Six pass breakups. It was, it was really tough for – a tough day for, for Gardner Minshew. Yeah, and, and then you've got the Jesse Bates of it all, right? But yeah. part of that is, is generated by – 
generated by pressure. And Omna, you, you've been watching Jesse Bates for the whole season. He said a career high in interceptions. This guy just seems to always be in the right spot at the right time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's also just, like, so fun to watch him because you never know, like, when it's going to happen. You, he just has a knack for the ball, like, that nobody else does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because Kalea said this a couple weeks ago when Jesse Bates had his 95-yard uh, pick six, and he said it again today. He was like, I've always been a fan of Jesse Bates kind of from afar, and I always looked forward to potentially playing with him one day, and he, he was really excited when they both, you know, end up in Atlanta. But then he said he, he went a step further and he was like, that's the most valuable player right there. In my opinion, that's an MVP. And you have people across the league. I literally just saw a tweet from, I think it was Ryan Clark, who was like, name a better safety right now than Jesse Bates. I'll wait, but I'll be waiting for a very long time. Because this is someone who I, I think is having an all-pro season. I think – I mean, Pro Bowl voting's going on right now. I'm pretty sure that the next couple of days are, like, double the votes on social. But, like, and then you're going to have to wait for coaches and players to, to make their votes for that, too. But I think it's a Pro Bowl season for Jesse Bates, too. I mean, you cannot minimize what Jesse Bates means to this defense. I think it's really interesting because – and I'm not – the reason why football stars are stars is, generally speaking – because they've done good things for a long time. Mm-hmm. But there are some guys who are, I mean, if you look at, you know, like any number of kind of like superstar defenders, Micah Parsons types, right? That Those guys are well known for what they've done. But then there's like another class where the average NFL fan may not know who Jesse Bates is, may not know who David Onyemata is. But if you ask the dudes on the other sideline, right. if you ask the position coach having to deal with him, mm-hmm on the other sideline, they say, we've always heard it, Grady Jarrett, you don't want to play that dude. It's, oh. why, it's why they literally Detroit three years ago put three offensive linemen on him. He's like, well, damn, y'all don't got to block anybody else. Like, legit. And then you have the same conversation about a guy like Chris Lindstrom. Right. Who you talk to defensive coordinators, you talk to run game specialists, you talk to people who know and understand offensive line play, and you're like, that guy's a good guard. And not just a good guard, what are the best in the league? And I think the Falcons have a lot of those dudes under contract, and Mm -hmm. I think that's important, especially on this defense. Uh, But before we transition to the Taylor Heineke of it all, we do have to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, and there's some good news because, as we have mentioned, Falcons had six sacks, man. And you can go to any Atlanta-area Zaxby's for a buy-one-get-one Big Zach snack meal the day after the game. There may be an exception, though, because I did look it up on the Internet. Zaxby's are closed on Christmas. So uh, I would take advantage of it the next time that they're open, in which case use the code ATLSAC23. All right, we've we've talked about the offense. We mentioned Taylor Heineke's name. but Taylor Heineken. Taylor Heineken. Um, it's possible that he might be having one tonight after what was an excellent performance He's by Bush him. Bush guy. Oh, that's right. Bush. Bush light. Um, but what was a really good, solid performance that I thought gave the Falcons the spark that they needed. Quick rewind. Uh, Desmond Ritter was named the starter at the beginning of the year. Taylor Heineke takes over in week eight in the second half that was ultimately a loss. Then he started a loss against Minnesota, a loss against a one-win Arizona team, and coming out of the bye, Desmond Ritter was the starter for four games, won the first two, lost to Tampa, 
loss to Carolina, but with a continuing theme of poorly timed major turnover type mistakes. They end up going back to, to a Taylor Heineke who talked post game, talked in his Wednesday press conference that each opportunity is special. This is a guy that's a, he's a survivor. He's been around the block a thousand times. He's Journeyman, been, if you will. Exactly. He's been promoted. He's been highlighted. He's, he's been, been demoted. Benched. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he's been all of those things. And he plays with this, I mean, devil may care is probably too strong of a term, but he plays with this kind of this enthusiasm. He's going to play free. He's going to be himself for better or worse sometimes. And I thought the Falcons were better because of the tone that he set and the way that he played. He I also plays think th- like it's Christmas morning. <laughs> he does. <laughs> I also think that you got to give credit where credit is due, and he didn't make critical mistakes. That's right. The mistakes he made, I mean, you're going to go out. It's four quarters of work. You're going to go out, and you're going to make mistakes. You touch the ball every se- – I mean, he had the fumbled snap. He had a pass to Bajan that hit him in the feet. We talk about those two throws in the end zone. So, yeah, there, it wasn't a perfect performance. But to me, those weren't necessarily critical, just game-changing They weren't red mistakes. zone turnovers. And I, I think because of that, you saw what the offense can do in terms of moving the ball, and you kind of trusted Taylor Heineke to go and, and lead this offense very well. I think something that Arthur Smith said post-game that I, I really – latched onto where he was talking about like this Taylor Heineke is someone who has a lot of experience and you could feel that experience with him in this game I thought that was a very interesting point and the follow-up of course is like well how do you feel that and he was like it's with everything and it's everywhere with him and I think that's something that you can't overlook is is kind of Taylor Heineke as a game manager and knowing when to take risks and when to hold back and when to be greedy and when to not and check down. I mean, those are all things that I think you could see on full display today. And of course I think it's pretty good for Taylor Heineke too, that he could go out with all of this quarterback talk surrounding the Falcons and just, just get a win, just move the ball score when you have the opportunity to, you know, not let the mistakes become critical mistakes. It all goes hand in hand. Yeah, and I, I just to kind of the way he carries himself too. He, there's a there was a play where um, Bajan Robinson got the ball and he's supposed to execute a run fake and he turns up into his right and there's a cornerback in front of him and, and Bajan behind him. We laughed so hard at this. I'm so sorry to Taylor Heineke that I laughed as hard as I did about this play, but it was so funny. I've seen the video. There's an up close video where Taylor executes the block and it's kind of a pancake. He puts yeah, the guy no, on his back. It's a good block. But then Taylor falls forward and kind of turns around, and Bajan's knee hits him straight <laughs> in the chin strap. So he uh, ran over him. Taylor so gets credit weird. for the pancake, yeah, and maybe the tackle. Like Let, at least I know I said tackle on Taylor Haneke. But in in Taylor Haneke's defense, I do think Bajan should have a little bit more like awareness. Like, hey, my guy's making a block. Like, maybe let me go to the left a little bit more. Let me not demolish my. Yeah, let me not run over Taylor Haneke. He, but he was probably like, so surprised that his quarterback was actively like just, blocking right? for him. He's yeah. like, wait a minute, I didn't have to run through somebody. He probably like slowed down in step. Like, wow, what a great block <laughs> by Taylor. Yeah, I mean, you look at plays like that. You there, there was one where he's running full speed out of bounds, not going to slide, ends up barely missing a Gatorade <laughs> cooler going into the field goal kicker's net. And it's that type of thing. And he talked a little bit post-game. He was on a roll post-game, to be honest with you. And he, he was talking a little bit about 
I mean, he didn't make that block. He, like, he wasn't thinking, I have a guy in front of me. I'm going to fire my guys up by doing this. That's not how it worked. Um, it works because there's a guy in front of you and you're a, a football player, right? But he does those little things that I, you can see why everywhere that he's been, in Washington especially, Terry uh, McLaurin, guys with good NFL track records love this dude. They just do, and I think that you could really see it in the way that he played, and I think that this is an action-speak-louder-than-words type of situation. Um, I thought that he was pretty good tonight and pretty effective. Now, what's next? Yeah. Right. At Chicago, at New Orleans. This was the home finale. And when you um, look at the way Tampa's going, they've now won four straight. Tori, can you you were explaining this to me earlier? So, what yeah. needs to happen? So if Tampa Bay wins, they've already won one. If they win one more, then they it's big trouble. Yeah, then it's basically a done deal that they are NFC South champions. And and they have games coming up against Carolina, Carolina and the Saints and the Saints. So they up. need to in order for the Falcons to have a chance. They need that they need. One, the Falcons need to win. But also, two, they need the Saints to beat Tampa Bay and they need Carolina to beat Tampa Bay. So we're officially telling Falcons fans to be Saints fans next week? That's what, that's what we're saying? I'm not, gonna be saying I'm not saying that, but if they do want a chance at the postseason, the Falcons, I mean. They could use New Orleans to right. have a good week and then they follow can it up go with back. a terrible week. That's the thing. If the Falcons beat the Bears, they have – the the Saints in New Orleans like you can go right back to feeling how you feel about the Saints but yeah that's kind of the way that I understand it that is the if if Tampa Bay has one more win they essentially clinch it yeah and when you look at kind of at this point in the pod we like to say okay like what needs to happen in the future for the Falcons to succeed or get back on track or whatever happened in the game I think the analysis is pretty simple replicate that game that we just saw. Yeah, this was the best four quarters we've seen this team put together. Right, and to your to everybody's point, that there's still room for improvement and improved efficiency. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a key thing as well for, look, Taylor Heineke also said, I know we're supposed to be Jags fans, but he admitted, look, everybody's looked – there is nobody on this roster that doesn't know the result of Jags Bucks, right? Right. Nobody. And but you have to kind of be able to tunnel vision it during the games themselves, understanding. All right. And look, say what you want about the Bears, but they can score all of a sudden, right? They can score. Justin Fields and DJ Moore are doing things. So you're going to need offensive efficiency in what's probably going to be frigid temperatures, at least with wind, mm-hmm. on New Year's Eve in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, more of what we saw. And I think that if they can do that, improve efficiency, they can at least finish this thing out right. It's just crazy. I've been screaming, 9-8 and eight will do it, 9-8 and eight will do it. Well, maybe 9-8 and eight won't do it Yeah. at this point because of who they lost to. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and, and that part of it, maybe more than I realized when I was just kept saying 9-8, and eight, is that that played a huge role, and that's why – First to Tampa and then to Carolina is is just a two step that, that you couldn't afford late in the season. That eight day swing was, was real. Tough. Yeah, that was the hardest part of this season. And I think if the Falcons, you know, regardless of what happens in the next two weeks, if they even you know have a chance at the end of the season to to be NFC South champions. Regardless, you look back on that eight-day time period and you I think that leaves a bad taste in your mouth and it's one that you hope that 
next year, regardless of how this season ends, you kind of fight fire with fire a little bit in those games and hope for – and honestly, will a better outcome. Yeah, I, I think that that's a really good way to phrase it. I think that's a good way to wrap up this Christmas Eve recording, Christmas Day delivery edition of the Falcons Final Whistle podcast presented by Zaxby's for Tori McElhaney and Taryn Walk and Omna Sapan. Thank you so much for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the Atlanta Falcons Podcast Network and YouTube.com slash Falcons, I believe. Just subscribe to the YouTube page, why don't you? Merry and Christmas. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, all that fun stuff. And we will talk to you again after the Bears game. See you.